صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Orly Noy, an Israeli activist, uh, translator and journalist, a member of uh, several human rights organizations in Israel like uh, B'Tselem and uh, a member of uh, Arab Jewish political party, Balad. He's currently in Australia in a tour organized by the Australian Jewish Democratic Society speaking about a Mizrahi response to Zionism and Mizrahi is a Hebrew word that means Jews of Middle Eastern origin. So um, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Orly last uh, Wednesday. We spoke about uh, her identity as a Persian uh, Jew. We spoke about the Mizrahi response to uh, Zionism and how Zionism uh, hijacks uh, the Jewish values, especially in defending the violations of uh, human rights in Palestine. But also we spoke about her career as translator and the value of translating uh, literature uh, from and to Persian. So uh, stay with us and uh, this is our interview with Orly Noy. Orly, thank you for uh, being with us uh, this morning. Thank you very much for having me, Yusuf. You introduce yourself as a Mizrahi. So what's the difference between Mizrahi and the Sephardim? The Sephardi are, was uh, the, the term that the establishment used to separate the Ashkenazim, uh, meaning the European-oriented Jews, the, the Jews from European origin, from the Jews that came from non-European communities, i.e. Middle Eastern and Arab and Muslim countries. Only they didn't want to uh, identify them as such, so, so they used the, the, the term um, uh, Sfaradi, which comes from Sfarad, which is Spain, Basically, going back to this, uh, you know, uh, and the loose exactly uh, culture. Only the current um, non-European, non-Ashkenazi communities, Jewish communities in Israel, are not from that origin. They come from Arab and Muslim countries, and should be. I mean. Uh, Israel is trying its best to scare uh, people off of that identity. But we do come from the Middle East, and therefore we are Middle Easterns. And the term Mizrahi is a political term to look, to, to clarify the location, the geopolitical location of our communities and actually of the state of Israel itself. So, Orly, um, I know that you uh, have an Iranian or Persian background. Uh, were you born in Iran or were you born in Israel? And how old were you if you were not born in Israel? 
uh, when you uh, migrated to uh, Palestine? I was born and raised in Iran, in Tehran, and I was nine years old when we immigrated to Israel. At the very beginning of the Islamic Revolution in 1979. What's the most thing that you missed after uh, going to Israel as a child? Um, my my grandparents, who at the time were left, I mean, were still behind in uh, Iran. I missed walking in the street and hearing Farsi. I missed the sense of belonging. I mean, it was very clear to me, very immediately, that it's not just about not speaking the the local language, not speaking Hebrew. There was something else that made me feel an outsider, made me feel not belonging. I, I acquired Hebrew very, very quickly and I was very, I mean, I was good at it and very quickly because as a child it's a matter of surviving, you know, you need to learn the, but it wasn't just about that. And it took me a lot of years to be able to define uh, what it is exactly that makes me still feel an outsider in political terms and this is in fact how I became a political Mizrahi activist mm. So um, I also want to ask you about Iran before, uh, the, uh, before you mig- your family migrated tell me about the society tell me about the Jewish-Muslim uh, coexistence, tell me about the relation with the mainstream uh, Persian or Iranian uh, population so I grew up in a um, middle-class Jewish family. What city? Tehran, yeah. Tehran, the capital. My parents are both from Isfahan, which makes me an Isfahani, <laughs> although I was born and raised in uh, Tehran yeah. itself. Um, we, I went to a Jewish school, but then a lot of my school, of my classmates were Muslims and Baha'is and Armenians and, uh, and we lived in a very much mixed family and so it was a very, very heterogeneous society. I mean, I grew up uh, really with friends from at least six or seven different uh, ethnicities uh, and religions, um, the, and the and the the relations with the Muslim uh, uh, surrounding were extreme. I mean, it was amazing. I remember that the end every year at the end of uh, the holiday of Passover, you know, for seven days we don't eat bread, and the first ones to bring us uh, the first bread at the end of uh, Pesach, at the end of Passover, were our Muslim neighbors. That was the gesture that here, after seven days, we can break bread together again. And so it was a very, very good and close and and and, uh, and friendly. We were. It's not just a cliche. We really lived as brothers in Iran, and there was no separation. Well, the bird told me that uh, your mother carried some books with her (laughs) from Iran to uh, Israel. Uh, Do you remember, do you know any of these books? And tell me about this, uh, tell me about the book. So we, you know, we um, uh, immigrated like in a very hasty way. It was like just, you know, throwing some stuff into a suitcase and uh, hop 
on a, on the first plane uh, out more or less and but my mother did uh, uh, carry some books that were very precious to her uh, one of them was turned out uh, to be the first book that I translated from Farsi into Hebrew it is uh, my it's called my dear uncle Napoleon it actually was translated to English as well and uh, it's a very very popular um, it's it is a novel it's a very it's a social critique but it's a satire and it's incredibly smart and funny uh, what, what, what is it called in Persian Dajan Napoleon I'd like to hear this accent. I'll let you uh, drink uh, your coffee it's going cold and uh, now I want to ask you about the, fir the first memories uh, of arriving to Palestine. Uh, when did you discover the Arabs, the Palestinians? Tell me about your first encounter with the locals. You know, it's, it's, when I say it now, it almost sounds unbelievable. But although I grew up in a Jerusalem neighborhood that was... Uh, not more than 200 meters away from a very big Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem, Isawiye. Yes, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the Palestinian existence around me until after I joined the army. And of course, nobody tells you about it. And you, that's the thing you do at 18 and you go to the army and you come back and you go to the university. And I think it was only the, my first year in the university that I started noticing noticing uh, uh, the Palestinians standing, lining up against the wall on my way to Mount Scopus, to the uh, university campus, uh, being checked by Israeli policemen every day, every hour of the day, basically, that I went up to, to the campus. I started no noticing the, the uh, sounds of shooting from coming from my Sawir, and started thinking about why is it that there's so much shooting go uh, going on in a neighborhood so close to us and we never hear that in our own neighborhood. And I started meeting Palestinian friends on campus and university. And, and uh, so this divide and conquer is so deep that you can actually... Uh, uh, you know, go throughout your entire life without realizing that something very, very wrong is out, that there is another people living right next to you and you won't know about it and you won't see them. Mm -hmm. Now, what about, what about the family and relatives and neighbors' uh, narrative of Palestinians? Were they the scary or were they the invisible or uh, were they something else? When, when there is nothing uh, out of the ordinary happening, you know, no big uh, events, uh, so-called security, like even like Intifada or Gaza, or then they are just invisible. Yeah. Then they really, nobody cares about what's going on with them. Nobody. Nobody knows and nobody wants to know. And when there is something going on, then of course they become the immediate threat, a danger, uh, a, a terrorist, uh, yeah, all, all the above, of course. Like, there is not a single moment that you can actually talk with clear head about the Palestinian issue because if it hurts us at the moment, then they are terrorists and they need to be defeated. And if they don't hurt us at the moment, then why should we think about it? Because everything is just fine. So, Orly, um, I want to ask you about the uh, Arabic language. 
I know that you do speak Arabic language. We had a few uh, a short uh, chat in the car in Arabic, and uh, I want to ask you uh, when and how uh, did you learn it? Well, first I, I studied Arabic at the university because I studied Middle Eastern studies, and then you it, it's a must. You need to learn it. Yeah. But then it's just for Sahara, and it just you know it's just for academic uh, 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 needs, and that wasn't good enough for me. So I went and studied. Uh, Amir spoke in Arabic. So what you studied in university was Fusha? Yeah, Fusha. So I'm not going to test you because that's... that's <laughs> no, we, we'll do that after the show. Go on. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> no, but then I started and then I, and, and then I discovered, you know, an entire new world because I was able to pick up a news, a Palestinian newspaper and read what the Israeli press never tells me and listen to Arabic radio and hear things that I never heard before and actually speak with people. And I live in Jerusalem. So for me, you know, the, I'm, I'm surrounded by Arabic. So all of a sudden it was this amazing discovery that I can actually speak with people in their own language. And, uh, um, and then I started working for a Palestinian-Israeli radio station. And uh, I had a really good exercise of my Arabic. Um, so I've had the incredible pleasure of uh, hosting a daily radio show in Sauta Salam, uh, Voice of Peace, uh, Palestinian Israeli radio station. It was uh, almost 15 years ago. It was quite a while ago. But that was the people from Tifada. Yes. And uh, we, that was the idea that was we tried to present uh, the two societies to one another in each in its own language but through a different lenses without the hostility and with uh, hostility and with a lot of curiosity so uh, I would uh, interview Palestinian politicians and members of uh, the parliament and uh, activists and and uh, I tried my best to do it in Arabic and then translate it into Hebrew and I think that it was probably the only place that uh, Hebrew speaking audience could hear straight from the mouth of Palestinians about their own situation and their own identity and their own analysis of uh, the situation. Unfortunately, we really don't have it. We have like uh, specialists for the Arab world uh, that tend to be very uh, biased and very much Zionist, of course, explaining the Palestinians and the Arab world to the Israeli public in a way that is uh, very biased and, and, and um, hostile, basically, to the Palestinian narrative. Uh, and uh, that's, that's all the information that the mainstream Israeli Jewish society gets. So how was that received uh, by your own family? Was there a level of resistance or reluctance or was there support or they were indifferent? No, there was they they it was very very difficult. I yeah. mean it has been until today. I um um, my, I mean, of course, my husband is very much aligned uh, with my political views, but my parents and my, you know, uh, uh, extended family, uh, they find it extremely difficult because they see, they look at me as somebody who crossed the lines. Mm. And the lines are so strict in Israel that, mm. you know, if you're not completely with us, 
i.e. with the Zionist narrative, with the right-wing Zionist narrative, then you can very quickly become the other, like not a traitor, because nobody in my family would call me a traitor, but you... The you misled. S- exactly. The misled or you step out of the camp. You're mm. an outsider now. Mm. You're, so we try very hard to um, uh, avoid political conversations during uh, Shabbat dinners. And, you know, we discuss the weather a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the elephant in the room. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But no, there are times, uh, for example, in the summer of 2014, when the war on Gaza was going on, we literally couldn't speak to each other for a long time because we immediate it immediately bursted into heated unbelievably so and accusations and like using of really harsh words that we all regretted later on but but it's it's you know for us for me it's not a, a a political uh, exercise a, a, a theoretical exercise it's very emotional. It's about who we are, who I am, what kind of an environment I'm uh, raising my kids in. It's these are really like personal emotional mm. stuff. So it can get heated very yeah. easily. Especially now with social media, they can see what you're doing, yeah. and they have access to what you say, as opposed to in the old days, maybe. This is very true, but actually that has uh, played in my favor because all of a sudden my mother can actually see on Facebook the amount of, like, I don't want to use um, bad words, but, the, the, you know, the, the, the amount of hatred oh. that I... Uh, yes, and it shocked her, really, when I showed her and I told her, look, what, whatever you think of me, just think of ha- what I need to face every day. And all of a sudden, she realized oh, that, uh, yeah, that's not. I mean, that's not how she, what she wants for her. That, I mean, that of course upset her, and she could, for a moment, uh, understand that mm. Uh, mm. she was for a long time actually a part of it, a part of n- not attacking me, but like not seeing things, not not seeing how violent. Things can get, and and how violent is the um, the treatment to anybody who thinks differently in yeah. Israel? Now, speaking of uh, uh, the non-welcoming uh, statements from uh, members of the Jewish community, today, uh, when we're recording on a Wednesday, um, there has been an article by uh, a Melbourneian Jewish group uh, referring to you as a deluded uh, Israeli. Um, how does this make you feel? And um, because the labeling that we see when it comes to Israelis who are against human rights violations of Palestinians is that they have some mental issues. (laughs) So how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's even. Uh, it was actually even worse because I think that at some point you also called me a self-hating uh, yes. Jew. Yes. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's despicable, really. I don't give, get offended by these things anymore because I've I've heard them all before. But I'm probably a much prouder Jew than the person who wrote this article. Who I don't. Oh my God! Apparently, I refused to have an interview with him uh, some years back, and he's, he was really offended by it and he's not letting go for some years um but i but but the fact you know that uh 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 
a Jewish person in Melbourne can sit in this beautiful city, very calm city, and uh, calling me an Israeli Jewish person who raises my kids in that conflict area and that war zone, uh, a, a self-deluded, like he, he here in Melbourne can tell me. <laughs> really, I mean, there, there is a, we have a word in it for it in Hebrew. It's called chutzpah. I mean, I think it takes quite a bit of chutzpah to, to be doing that, but it's nothing new. I mean, that's their only way to deal with anybody who confronts the Zionist narrative. Immediately he's called either uh, crazy or self-deluded or self-hating or whatever. That's their only way to uh, deal with uh, the, the, the you know, ideological challenges that they face. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and our guest, uh, Orly uh, Noor. Uh, so we will, we will listen to some snippets of your speech uh, last uh, Saturday on an event called Melbourne Says No to the Sale of Palestine, and we will be back uh, shortly. As an Israeli Jew, I must say, this occupation is not... Judaism. There is nothing Jewish about the ethnic cleansing being promoted in Palestine. There is nothing Jewish about the daily invasion to Palestinian cities and towns. There is nothing Jewish about invading houses in the middle of the night, dragging out children from their sleep in their beds and arresting them. There is nothing Jewish about the daily demolition of houses, of Palestinian houses, all around the West Bank and in East Jerusalem. There is nothing Jewish about the deadly bombing of civilian population in Gaza. There is nothing Jewish about the siege, the the brutal, uh, violent siege on Gaza that has been going on for years. This is not Judaism. In fact, it's a daily violation of every basic Jewish value. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM, and uh, we are pleased to be joined by Orly Noy. So that was quite a powerful statement that there's nothing Jewish about the violation of Palestinians' rights in, uh, in, 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 uh, or, or human rights in general. Yeah, I think that one of the most horrible things we've been facing for some years now is uh, Israeli attempt with some uh, assess- assistance by its uh, allies around the world to portray any uh, uh, criticism on the, the Israeli policies as anti-Semitism. All of a sudden, being a human right defender is being an anti-Semite. All of a sudden, being anti-occupation is being anti-Semite. And really, somebody must say, we, the Jews, have the obligation to, to stand up and put an end to this madness, because otherwise it means that... Uh, uh, violation of human rights is Judaism, that occupation is Judaism, and no, we must it's our it's our job not the Palestinians, it's our job to, to, to stand up and say this is not Judaism, no, okay. you're hijacking Judaism into something completely horrifying that's not Judaism So, uh, Orly, tell me about your uh, tour in Australia. It's been a week now in Melbourne and you are preparing to head uh, to uh, Sydney soon. How how has been this week uh, so far? And tell me me what you felt the understanding of the Palestinian-Israeli issue among Australians so far. 
Well, first of all, it really has been a tremendous privilege and honor to, to do that tour. And uh, I'm so grateful to the Australian Jewish Democratic Society for inviting me over. Uh, it, uh, it was fascinating to meet with Palestinian members of, uh, of the Palestinian community here in Melbourne. Um, I find it... Uh, I, 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 it's... Um, it gives me a lot of hope when I see that the Palestinians are willing to cooperate with Israelis, with Jewish community, and uh, that it really is not about faith and it's not about uh, you know race or religion. Uh, it's it's about decency, human de- decency, and ideas of justice uh, and equality. I um, uh, the article that you mentioned uh, uh, made me. F- I mean, it it's um, it's just a shame. It's a shame because I think that the Jewish community in Melbourne in general uh, can be a lot more courageous and I think that it still has uh, some way to go to reconnect with the basic Jewish values of justice and, um, and human uh, rights and more, more than anything I'm just happy that we are able to still have these conversations and I, I think that's the most important thing just stay you know good people around the world should stay in touch, have this conversation, join forces, and keep up the fight. Now, uh, I would like to uh, use the coming few minutes uh, remaining in our interview uh, to speak to you about literature and translation. But I want to first ask you about the percentage among Israelis who do speak Arabic and uh, the value of uh, translation, uh, whether from Farsi slash Arabic to Hebrew and vice versa. Um, so this is probably the, the, the project you know, closest to my heart is the tra- translation uh, project because I really see it as a political uh, activism as well. Uh, you won't believe it, but you know we are s- uh, surrounded completely by Arabic-speaking environment. You know we are sitting in the heart of the Middle East. Uh, about 20% of Israel's own uh, uh, society is Palestinian, Arabic-speaking, and only less than 3% of Jews in Israel can speak. It's amazing. It's amazing. We can speak decent English, some other Russian. languages, Russian, exactly, and and other languages. But not, but not uh, Arabic, which is completely insane. And there is a reason for it, because for so many years we've been led to believe that anything associated with Arabness, with Arabic, with the Arab identity, is evil, is worthless. It's even more. It's it's, um, and so the the erasing of this amazing culture around us. Uh, both Arabic and the Persian uh, culture. So, f- and and you know when you uh, strip uh, a group of people of their identity and of their culture, then it's it beca- it's extremely dangerous because because then it becomes very easy to look at them as nothing, as dust, and then you can do anything you want to them. So, uh, uh, in you know enhancing the cultural uh, uh, backbone of our societies, of our Mizrahi societies, of the Palestinian society, that's a political project. If, if you have your culture behind you, then you are not a nobody. Then nobody can treat you as a nobody. And, and that's why, for me, it's so, so important, the, the project of translation. So we're heading towards the end of this uh, enlightening uh, interview. I want you to end it with maybe a sentence, uh, one in Arabic and one in Farsi. 
I'll get. I'll, I'll let you think of uh, of what you want to choose for us and tell us what you meant by both of these sentences. Well, in Farsi, yeah, it's very easy. Uh, can I uh, uh, instead uh, uh, cite a very short poem? Of course, please. با یک دل غمگین به جهان شادی نیست تا یک ده ویران بود آبادی نیست تا در همه جهان یکی زندان هست در هیچ کجای عالم آزادی نیست and it means that as long as there is one broken heart in the world there is no happiness anywhere in the world as long as there is one ruined village there is no prosperity anywhere in the world and as long as there is one imprisoned person in the world there is no freedom anywhere in the world it is amazing and I, I will uh, so I don't know how to say all that in Arabic but that's, that really is the bottom line And our liberation depends on others' uh, liberation. There is no better uh, way to end uh, this interview than this beautiful uh, line from uh, Persian literature. I want to thank you so much, uh, Orly, for this uh, interview. Thank you very much. I learned a lot, and I wish you all the best in the coming uh, few destinations in Australia and in future. Thank you very much, uh, Orly Noy, uh, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Yosef. Thank you. That's all we have time for uh, this week of Palestine Remembered. Thank you for uh, joining us and remember uh, to be with us uh, next week, same time. And until then, this is Nasser, Robert and Yusuf wishing you the best of time and ma salame.